This episode is brought to you by Folgers Coffee. You're not just any coffee drinker. You're a Folgers Coffee drinker. Because for over 170 years, Folgers has been serving up expertly crafted brews that are bold, never bougie. And now there's over 20 varieties to choose from. Damn good coffee roasted in New Orleans. Damn right, it's Folgers. Visit FolgersCoffee.com coffee to shop now. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Welcome back to day two of MadCon for our final panel of the day about bringing uh, new listeners into the world of podcasting. Uh, It's... It's hard enough to get people who already listen to podcasts to make the plunge into audio drama. Is it even possible to bring people from even one step out, people who don't even listen to podcasts? Can we bring them into audio drama, into audio fiction, actual plays, that kind of world? Um, and what do we think is the best ways to do so? I would, uh, I'm would. i Tony. I'm the marketing director for Fasty Nonsense, and I am joined by two wonderful people here. Aaron, who are you? Hello, everyone. I am Erin Nicole Lundquist. I am a professional voice actor. I have uh, been voice acting for seven years now, and I started in audio drama, and I never left. I love it so much. I never will leave. Uh, I have since graduated to other projects as far as um, I have work on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Peacock, etc. But I will never not do audio drama because I just love the medium so much. And uh, I also help produce some shows. I've done two audio. I've helped produce two audio dramas, a children's show and um, an educational podcast. And so that's my next project. And I was specifically hired for the educational podcast to bring more listeners in, which is why I'm here today to kind of talk about my strategy for this pod, that podcast. And hopefully it can cross over with the fictional world. I think it can. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It'd be very insightful to kind of hear because you have the performer side of it where you have kind of developed a fandom of you as a performer, but also you have that kind of professional experience as a producer of how do we bring these people in. So uh, it'd be very interesting to hear. And uh, we're also joined by uh, Tom. Tom, would you please introduce yourselves for everyone? Sure. Uh, I'm Tom Conkle. Uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. Um, I I have been a multi-pronged person for a long time. I uh, work as a professional actor out here for about 27 years. I have a production company called Luminactus. Um, I have a lot of, you know, theater training in the 90s. I I did uh, a show almost a week, you know, at Santa Monica Playhouse and all the different clubs and all the different theaters here. So I got a good good grounding as an actor. As a director, uh, I have a feature film out right now called Trouble Is My Business. I've directed a couple hundred hours of television. I uh, used to be the staff writer on on such shows as uh, Be Cool Scooby Doo for Warner Brothers. Um, I am a scre- screenwriter. I have uh, about fifteen produced uh, works, including screenplays. Um, I love uh, I love audio podcasting. I I got into it the same way that I got into the internet space when it was kind of a wild west show in uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine. Uh, everyone was creating, you know, what was called web series, which have become internet series. But um, I learned so much about the new ways of marketing 
Um, the way I approach it uh, real briefly in my introduction is if you build it, they won't come. <laughs> and what I mean by that is um, it's not enough to create great things in, in, a, in a creative space because the platform itself needs discovery. So with my background, I bring all of that in as a producer and an and a actor and a writer and everything into audio. And that's such a powerful medium. So, so that's really my background is that I've brought those disciplines together and to bear on this uh, audio uh, spectrum. And it's really the same approach. It's the same kind of discipline to, to draw eye, eyeballs and earlobes to your show. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I, I think sure. that then um, leads us to a, a question that I'm pretty interested in. How did you specifically um, find audio drama, audio fiction? Many of us have heard a podcast. Some of us heard about audio fiction much before others. Uh, so, Aaron, how did you get your start? How did you find out about audio fiction as a concept? I was, I cannot tell you which grade it was. It maybe was the third grade that we listened to the like complete works of Edgar Allan Poe in my school, which is really dark, by the way, for like a third grade class. Yeah. Um, but it was this audio reading, but it was done dramatically. I would say it was, techni well, technically an audio book. It was, I was like, what is this? And then in that same school, then following year, we listened to War of the Worlds, the famous audio play that incited this panic. It was so realistic that it incited panic in real people. Um, and so it was something, radio plays was something that I was always aware of. And I was, I've been in theater since I was like three years old. And so um, it just gelled with me, this concept. Uh, however, I didn't start listening to audio dramas as in like the modern versions of audio dramas i did go out of my way to listen to old timey radio plays but like this new world until i was in them uh starting about five years ago or so and it's I, I didn't know there's a whole secret world of whatever you want there's something out there for you and i i i, I was blind to that uh so it kind of took someone going hey do you want to audition for my project and i went oh, okay what is this is there more of this? Oh, it's everywhere. Where was I? You're like, wow, this is a very large can of worms that I didn't expect to open. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to wonder, like, like how I, I knew about actual plays, um, with, like things like Critical Role and playing D&D. &D, and I was part of the Let's Play kind of movement of YouTube for a while. So, like, that transition from, like, Let's Play to actual play made sense to me. I just never occurred to me that there was this giant world out there either. So I was definitely blindsided by it. I met Amy and Jackie last year. And I was like, oh, you're a podcast or something, right? They're like, yeah, we do, like, audio fiction. I'm like, oh, what do you mean, like, audio fiction? I was like, like, like Critical Role, Let's Play, or Actual Play stuff? And they're like, oh, no, 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 it's, like, television without the, the visual component. Like, they're, like, full-blown, like, scripted audio, like, performances. I was like, that's a – that makes sense. It's a thing, but that's a thing. <laughs> I think what did it for me, why I consider the Edgar Allan Poe thing more audio fiction, was because the first story we listened to was The Telltale Heart. Mm -hmm. And they had that effect, the sound effect of the yeah. heart in oh. there. And that is audio fiction. Now you're entering this realm because you're creating a soundscape to pair with your story. And and I feel like it was elevated to the point that I was hooked <laughs> then. Yeah. It, it's and, so intimate. It's uh, When it's in first person like that, it's like they're inside your head talking to you. You know, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, 
there was this narration that I heard that I listened to, and I think it was in my music theory class in high school. Um, and one of my band directors mates uh, had a used to dub over um, narrations with like a trumpet sound effect. Uh, like like would do would take their trumpet and use different mutes and things like that to emulate these sound effects. And I wonder if that's like one of the earlier versions that I would like. I, I mean, I guess I would classify that as like an audio fiction. I I wish I knew where to even find that. I really don't want to reach out to them because I they're, they're not great. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, Tom, how did you, you you were speaking to me a little bit before the panel started? Um, where did you jump into um, this modern day world of audio drama? I know you like radio plays as well. Yeah, I do. I, it's funny. You, when I heard you ask Aaron the question, I was thinking, gosh, when did I get into this? And my dad sent me a cassette. When I was three years old, he had a, he had a um, reel-to-reel tape recorder. And there is recordings of me at three interviewing myself and all these different characters and you hear these little feet go dad a tape recorder and you come back in and i'm like so today i'm talking to stub newell stub tell me about it and i start playing all the parts so i've been doing it since i was three um and on the comedy side i got into it through hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which was the douglas adams thing on the serious side there's a pretty hard to find a uh, radio show that was big in like 1980, 1981 called alien worlds. And it was fully produced, uh, dramatic sci-fi episodes. Um, and I remember holding my microphone up to the speaker of the radio so I could record it and listen to it later. And I listened to exactly how they did it, how the music affected you, how the voices moved how they how they made it seem like they were outside, how sound effects were. Uh, I remember listening to The Goon Show where I heard the power and the energy of the writing with Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan. If you haven't heard The Goon Show, it's pure radio. It's madness. It's the madness inside this person's head just pouring out uh, in radio. And I think I realized the power of all that. And for me, the thing that gives away a budget on a movie or a TV show the quickest is the sound. Most people don't lavish attention on the sound. The ear is much deeper than the eye. And for me, my entry point back into it is very funny, actually. This guy that um, was in a sketch troupe with me in 1993 said, hey, one day we should do a show like The Goon Show, some radio show. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And then we went off and had our careers and we're doing TVs and doing stuff like that, commercials. Well, during the pandemic in 2020, he calls me up and he goes, so now are you free? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so 20, 26 years later, we, during the pandemic, we started with the mainstream players and we, and uh, we started doing old radio shows like the shadow uh, or whatever, but being us, uh, I started to subvert them. I started to twist them into my own thing. So I started writing my own flash Gordon, my own Scrooge, my own Dracula. And that's how I came back into it is it was so easy to get everybody on a zoom direct everybody like an orchestra where I could get everyone. I would have sometimes 12 people that I was going and even live sound effects going. And you could create in the moment, you could create an hour and a half of content of production in an hour and a half, you know, whereas in any other medium, it takes me, it took me three years to make my feature. So it took three years to do 90 minutes. It took me an hour and a half to do an hour and a half. 
So um, that's my entry point into it is that, it, you know, it's such a theater of the mind that it, it seemed inescapable that like, well, if it's the only thing I can do, it's everything I can do. I can say, look at that elephant over there. And all of a sudden you see it and it, it doesn't cost anything. So so that was my entry point. And I saw so many podcasts were interview style, which I think it's great for podcasts have kind of replaced AM radio for that. But I think audio drama is a untapped deep vein where you are not constrained by format. You're not constrained by time. You're not constrained by the normal consideration. So my my introduction to to podcasting was out of necessity but now i realize podcasting is an art unto itself that's really beautiful thank you for saying that yeah. um, yeah, sure and i and there's something that aaron said yesterday during one of the panels that really stuck with me and it's that you can't tell stories like you can in audio drama it is the home of the best stories Yes. Um, and it has yeah. uh, so much space to tell incredible narrative. Would you like to touch on that a bit more, Aaron? Of how, like, because you would. are involved in so many different media now. <laughs> I am. Uh, um, my yeah, I said that that you can't. You have freedom when you are making an audio drama. You are not constrained by a studio that is telling you how it has to be because this is going to appeal to this audience because this network has a specific target and they have their own agenda and they mm -hmm. have their own, which is which I'm not saying is bad, it's different. It's like looking at the same thing from different perspectives. I look at it as a universe. You're creating a universe and should you go to television, that's one perspective. Should you stay in audio drama, that's another perspective. If you write a comic book, that's another perspective. But it's all different veins of the same thing. Um, with getting new people into podcasts, the whole, the whole panel here, I was actually going to talk a significant amount about the film community because that's how I got discovered in voice acting was I was a costume designer. <laughs> And I was working on a television, a sci-fi television series. And the sound guy was like, hey, have you ever thought about doing voiceover? And I was like, yes, right now, yes. Because as we've said, <laughs> I was also the kid with my Fisher-Price tape recorder. You brought yeah, back exactly. this memory. My Fisher-Price tape recorder and I would sing like the Disney songs and of all of this. Course. And I would play it back to it. Like ridiculous. Um, oh, and make all these funny voices. I, and... Oh man, it's so funny, but that I got off topic because I was I was back in my three year old self. The <laughs> um, the film community. So I was pulled into the world of audio through somebody who said, "Hey, I think you'd be good at this." And he did commercials. I started in commercials and museum tours and bus tours and things like that. And then somebody heard that and asked me to audition for an audio drama, and that was and then the rest is history. But the uh, the film community is very budget constrained, especially the indie community. So you may have this brilliant idea to do this amazing sci-fi show and you go, okay, we're going to make a pilot. We're going to make a pilot and we're going to pitch it to network. And so now what do we need to do to make a bare bones pilot, but still tell our story? And so they can see something that if they gave us this big budget, then we can do this and so yeah. ideally you have like your pitch book and you have a crew to help you do that well what i would do is i would wander my way into the film community and i would be like hey that's a really wonderful idea have you thought about turning that into an audio drama and a lot of times people go well what's an audio drama 
<laughs> and now all of a sudden the budget that was going to be this big for this concept and this project becomes this big in comparison. It's right. telling the exact story that you want with some adaptation, but you can still have your pitch book with your images, right? This is what it would look like. But now you can give someone something to listen to. And that it's just another form of pitch. But what you're doing is you're enriching the world by bringing these full-fledged stories instead of a pilot. You can make a season easy for what it would cost to make a pilot for a live-action show. That's awesome. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I didn't know that, that that was like the start like of your 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 audio drama voice acting kind of stuff. Like I didn't realize like, that that exact inception. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah. not like costume design. I thought I would, and I went to school and everything, and I hated it. I just there's too much math, and I, as a producer, <laughs> that's like scary. Too much math, but it's different <laughs> when you have spreadsheets. It's it's yeah. a different thing than like geometry and the exact degrees that you need to cut this and send that to the manufacturer because if you're off by a degree yeah. you've ruined thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of like i hated that i was like that's too much i don't i don't this and this is it i'm an actor and specifically a voice actor i love this job but yeah that's how i started and so i've never left the film community in that i am like this weird liaison where i'll just show up and they're like well we don't need a voice actor and i was like oh you don't need someone to do promos for you Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't want to have somebody do like your phone calls? Like you're not going to have them call like a bank teller? Oh, yeah. And so like <laughs> that's uh, giving people, you don't have to look for pre-existing methods. Make your own way. Like make, make your own way into the industry. Yeah. Well, Tony, to build on what Aaron's saying is she's absolutely right. The economy of scale that you can do with a uh, an audio presentation of something else, it can be a standalone, you know, unto itself as an audio production, but you can also add uh, a visual component. It can become a pitch. It gets in people's brains and lets them have an idea what it is. And on the flip side, as a performer, the latitude you have in audio is amazing. As a, as a performer or as a writer, one day you can be an 82-year-old, old, dusty butt man in a Western. And the next day you can be Dracula. The next day you can be a 20-year-old Flash Gordon, which I'd never get cast at. But I get to be all these people all the time because as long as you keep your, your instrument, your voice trained, you can change your pitch, your accent, and everything and disappear. Audio allows a performer to be things they would never be cast in, that they would never be allowed to do, and do it longer. You know, I could play the same part for 40 years and your voice doesn't change. And and that's super, um, super important as, a, as somebody who wants to expand their horizons and try on roles that they might not be typical for. And then getting to the to the spirit of this, which is how do you get eyeballs? I feel like there's two basic principles to if you build it, they don't come. Here is what you do. Number one. You have to have authentic engagement with your audience. And what I mean by that is no one likes somebody that goes into Reddit and finds everything under film noir, come and see my movie. That's it. Bye. And then you, you're like, look at my thing. Cause every other filmmaker goes, eh, I have mine. You know what the, what they want is you go, I watched your film. I feel like I learned a lot. How did you do that? Or I noticed you did something sound wise. Was that an effect you got online or you did live? All of a sudden, the conversation breaks out and they go, you know, that guy, Tom, took a genuine interest in my show and what I'm doing. I'm going to check him out. And if you want to bring eyeballs, you want recommendations. You want someone that is a connector to go. Aaron's show is terrific. 
and I think you should see it. Aaron shouldn't have to go, my show is terrific. I think you should see it. And I think that that first pillar, that per, you know, anybody listening to this, that first column is authentic engagement. People smell it. People know when you're being real. Go where they are and take a genuine interest. And then you can happen to mention what you're doing. Then you can soft sell what you're doing. And you are enrolling people in your show. And the big mistake that everyone makes getting into the space, they do it with TV, they do it with internet shows, they do it with movies, is bombing someone with the, you have to watch me, I'm a walking billboard. You know, who does that? You know, it's like you, you wouldn't do it at a party. Hi, my name's Tom. Will you go to Trouble Is My Dad Biz and see my movie? You know, it's, it's, you don't do it. You take an interest in the person. And if they seem like someone that's interested in what you're doing, they may tell 50 people. I met Tommy. It was great. You should check out his show. That's it. Done. The second, the second part of this engagement is consistent messaging. And I, and I think Aaron will agree with me. You have to put out a steady output of, of something, some kind of thing that people know, if I go there this week, there's something there, but also a steady, consistent messaging of what it is you are. You can't just do one thing oh I, I tweeted about it a month ago and then the next month you tweet something and it just seems to have nothing to do with what you're doing it has to be consistent and steady people ignore things the first eight times they get them so the first time the first time i say i've got a new podcast out everyone goes hey tom said something then the next time i do it they go hey there's something by the mindstream guys i'll have to check that out later then by the eighth time they go what was Oh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a listen. And that's when they do it. I had to have the same message eight times, but mm -hmm. it was the same on-brand message. It wasn't, hey, check this out over here. Oh, and look at this flower. Look at this. Look at that. Because the people are like, I'm tired, and I don't want to deal with you. You know? And when and you're – oh, sorry. Go I was going to say, as, as an actor in the modern space, which which we both are, the uh, that applies to the individual as well in that – you're when you put your work out there if you're like this is my professional space like if i'm doing if my instagram is for my professional space my twitter is my professional space i personally choose to put samples of my work out there pretty consistently just yep. like you would if you were going to have your podcast out there and in one of the previous uh oh uh, non-podcast content i mentioned making picture collages of that and video clips that you could you could put out there because people are visual animals ultimately mm -hmm. but when you combine that visual and audio element maybe that casting director who's seen you pop up on that feed they won't look at you the first eight nine ten times you're like man i've seen this name a lot on a bunch of different <laughs> projects i'll listen to this one right and that's, that's all you need is the one chance and that's that's the same for podcasts like just consistent but also not bombing them and not just with the hey listen to this listen to this listen to this you really have to pace posting yeah <laughs> i yeah. actually had to do an apology post this week because unfortunately like nine or ten projects released this week that i was in and some of them i did like a year and a half ago oh, but right. all of those people expect me to do publicity for them and right. i went crap so i did and i was like hey guys it looks like i'm a workaholic right now I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm okay. It's just all this stuff released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to do that. You don't want to do nine posts yeah. in a week. You know, it's too much. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. And and for those listening that are interested in how do I bring an audience, have an idea of what your audience is even before you make the show. Yes. And and understand those people. Not everyone has to like your show, just enough people. Yeah. And most people don't realize that. Uh, it, you can't please everyone. Uh, you, you shouldn't. It won't be any good. Um, but more importantly, I think when you understand where your audience is, you'll know to go where the ears are, where the listeners are, mm-hmm. and make yourself available to those people. There are communities that will be fans of your work or predisposed to be fans. Those are the ones you want to win over. Those are the ones that you need to know your audience before you've made your show. If you're doing, a, a, say, a, a dramatic um, horror uh, anthology audio Go where those people hang out. Take a genuine interest in the horror that they like, the the sort of uh, artists that they enjoy, and then feather it in and consistently message. Well, that's terrific. You know, I I was just doing a, a something like the Evil Dead yesterday. I have it up on my site. Get somebody to go. What's the link? The minute I had had somebody do that to me on Twitter, I had like a hundred retweets of that of people I never met before. Oh, because awesome. there, there's a genuine effort to go, I discovered this thing first, yes. so I'm going to put it out. And it's and, and, and for me, that is the authenticity of it, is that I genuinely just wanted to share it with them. And having already found my people, um, they were very interested in it. You know, and then and then it takes one or two connectors. You know, I did an adaption of Dracula, which has been done to death. But there's actually a Dracula review page that reviews everything. And they love the show. And I saw a jump on Buzzsprout of thousands of listens just off that one person going, you know what? That wasn't bad. (laughs) You know, those are your people. Uh, I would like to touch on something um, that relates to this uh, a little bit. And um, you mentioned you got to look in the right kind of spheres to find that audience. And there was something that... um, Jonathan Evans and I were talking about during our uh, earlier today during our organic marketing for podcast seg- uh, panel, um, and he talks about this Venn diagram of podcast people, your specific niche in that podcast, and where in the overlap is like the people that like podcasts, the people like what you do, and um, something that um, Jackie from the network has specifically said is that. The podcast community is very incestuous. We often don't look outside of the community itself for additional fans because a lot of your biggest fans are other creators and their fans, which is great. But like a lot of the times you are showing them to the same people that would have probably found you anyway, based on recommendations, you're kind of advertising to people that may already have like been showing up. So what, you know, what you're saying is like, you know, you go into r slash audio drama and you know, you learn when you have some big announcement, maybe you make something there and you'll get some new fans. We made a, a trailer for season one of Chain of Being, and um, uh, which is a show that we have in the network. And I posted that trailer there. And then Kai, you know, the uh, about a week later, was like, what happened this day that I get all these downloads? And um, and But you can't rely on just bombarding audio drama because it's not going to work every time. Right. You have to find those communities um, and like how to get into those. Um, and... Very and personally, Sorry. I've found a lot of really close. No, it's okay. I mentioned it in the last panel, and I'd love to expand on it here. I found a lot of those communities hang out on Facebook. There yes. are groups upon groups upon groups upon groups of interests for this these topics. Yeah. Uh, great example that audio drama that I did five years ago. 
uh, Splintered Caravan was a cyberpunk audio drama, mm-hmm. and it resurged thanks to Cyberpunk 2099, the video game coming out. And I kind of like wandered into some Cyberpunk 2099 areas. And I was like, oh, because I'm legitimately interested in the genre and the video game. So I was hanging out and I was liking things and I was doing stuff and I was commenting on posts. I was like, hey, if you guys are, because everyone was eagerly awaiting and they pushed the game back. I was like, while you're waiting, I have this, this audio drama and so that's a weird cross yeah. that you can find. Find something based and and like you said, oh my goodness, um, Tom, when you were talking about uh, everybody wants to find it first. That's yeah. so true with horror fans, yeah. cyberpunk fans, steampunk fans. Yeah. Um, not so much with the fantasy genre. Like it's not so much of a race that I found with high fantasy. Yeah. Everybody just kind of like sharing welcomingly. Not more right. like a I I did it first. That one's mine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but um, you just you go to the subject matter. If I was doing high fantasy, I would, no joke, probably avoid the Tolkien fans because everything gets compared to yeah. very hoity toity. Yeah, it's just because it's like if it's not this level, then I don't even want to listen to it. Yeah. But you know what do you mean? You didn't write other... your own languages. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love i love him so much as a philologist just if i could take a moment there because i did spend two years as a linguist and yeah. he was a big inspiration for me but anyway yes. i i'm not yeah anyway <laughs> uh i'm not trying to poo poo on tolkien fans but i also know their standards and their standards for high fantasy and so if you're not that find another fantasy group to go share this with and then meetup.com is or is it org hold on don't I don't want to send you to the wrong place. But the meetup website that just does in-person meetups, a lot of that went online because of COVID. So instead of doing like a local horror group fans in your area, some of that is now Zoom meetings or things like that. So you can sort of learn, not learn, you can join real people in your area for possible future collaboration, but also it'll enrich your knowledge base about something you're already interested in and something you're already producing for. Yeah, that uh, is true. We, so we try to kind of, uh, with Supersuits in specific, and, and and to give some context for Tom, because Aaron's a part of this project, uh, Supersuits is a show we crowdfunded for in, in February and March. And the premise of it is it is a law firm set in a superhero world. So they deal with ridiculous things like child labor laws for sidekicks and uh, costume great. like you know um, wonderful yeah like all all like yeah. the nonsensical like unsaid yeah. legal stuff in the world that's what we're tackling yeah. um that's and, great. and in trying to build an audience for that which we we successfully funded very um um very it, it went extremely well we raised sixteen and a half thousand dollars for a very that's yeah, yeah over 50 voice actors it's a huge project that um that we are now um, finally editing now that we were getting all of our voice lines in. Um, it By was, the way, what platform will you put that on something like that? What 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 usually platforms that? Uh, so we are just going to put it on uh, every single podcast player in, in the world. It is, uh-huh. a, um, it is going to be an audio exclusive. It is an audio comedy. Um, That's great. Um, I might be so able to do... aggregate it out through everything into Spotify and all the podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, probably put it on up on... We use Captivate as our hosting platform, which we recommend. Okay. Extremely, very consumer friendly. Yeah. Um, um, they 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 have like ad integration tools that are free that no one else does. Like Captivate's amazing. If I had to ever give a single platform a lot of praise, 
Captivate.fm is is a fantastic podcast platform and uh, are constantly trying to make the user experience better. Uh, That's great. It's good good tip to know for everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we try they're to move everyone pink. to us. What's that? I said their their website's very pink. I just did the very <laughs> very pink. I was like, oh, it is a very pink website. <laughs> Uh, I just brought it up. It is very pink. Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> awesome. They're, they, we we feel like we know Mark personally. He's the one who does all their content and is usually like running the presentations for new features. Um, That's terrific. But when we were when we were trying to find a fandom for that, you know, we have this really interesting. Um, it's very comic book inspired. Extreme, mm-hmm. like it has a a ton of comic book inspiration, but it also it is like a law like related thing. So like law, it, it, Amy and Jackie who run the network are. Um, former attorney like they're former lawyers like they literally went to school for law and and did all but actually practice as like attorneys um and so this was like their um this is their ultimate fantasy as a a lawyer (laughs) yeah yeah this is like their ability to critique the legal system and things like that so we're like okay well we have two kind of related fields to play with so you know we try to um embrace these two um spheres by holding like competition so we had like a law brief competition which i think was graded i think we got a few of those and then Mm -hmm. we try to do like a character design or creation one for the comic book peeps um and we did not get a lot of interaction with that and i think um maybe our approach with that wasn't as um, thorough with the comic book side. Maybe we needed to get more niche into, well, which aspect of comic book should we get into? Do we get into the Marvel fans, the DC fans? Is there even smaller groups within that that we should be looking into? So I would personally, like oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say adult swim style too, like the Archer yeah. show oh, and yeah. stuff like that. Those That style, that adult swim style, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law kind of thing. <laughs> I agree um, with that. Wow. I think those are your peeps, too. For sure. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's uh, as we get closer to um, um, what we are currently about. I either have started or are working on the pilot. It's a little, it's a little uh, hint there for everyone who's excited for Super Suits. But I think as we're getting closer to releasing and talking about that, and uh, establishing the release schedule, maybe that's something for us to consider. Maybe we are kind of overlooking an entire group of people um, mm. that would be interested in this. And I think you might be right that because this is, you know, it's there's profanity. It's it's more adult oriented, sure. um, um, not like in any like suggestive way, but it is more of an, a mature audience. And maybe your Harvey Birdman and um, yeah. They would eat it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's some sphere we have to go into. I would also network with comic book shops. Like, I would absolutely do events because comic book shop, if you come to a comic book shop with a pre-planned event, because you guys did it made a tabletop RPG to go with your thing. But um, if you went to a comic shop and said, hey, I have this audio drama that is out, is coming out, whatever. Um, And this is for everybody. I'm trying to make all of every advice I try to give, I try to give as evergreen as possible. Mm -hmm. So while I'm talking about super suits, I would do the same thing if you had anything that would fit in the realm of comic book shop, uh, including fantasy, because the tabletop RPG shops, minis, like uh, like a like mini shops that you could go to, th- those are all potential listeners. And your that local game store, like it. like Magic the Gathering, kind of- like sh- the Magic the Gathering and like Pokemon and stuff. Like those shops all kind of share uh, those fandoms between tabletop RPGs, card games, and sometimes even comics. So I think that's a very good point. 
Yeah, yeah, and you could you could absolutely set up some kind of event, and then there is whatever publicity. And if you're feeling bold, you can contact your local newspaper and let them know what's going on. And if you hype it the right way, now you're getting a press release, even if it's just digital, the more of a digital footprint you create, the more likely someone is to listen to your project, the more likely your project is to succeed. So it's really a lot of out of the box thinking. Yep. I, I think I, a lot of what we learned from crowdfunding of like building a contact list to because a lot of what you do for crowdfunding, right? You build up a contact list and that way when you launch, you say, hey, we're crowdfunding. This is what we're doing. Please like us. Please, you know, fund the project. And I, I, I don't think that process ever really should stop. Like you should be building a database of contacts and things like that. So maybe that, OK, we had a good season one. I now have all these, have all these people to help. Uh, look into season two or to make maybe we do something for the finale of season one uh i i think i'll have to retouch uh, touch base with jackie again about um about uh building up our audience and our our, our yeah. contact database again but yeah. tom what were you going to say about this i'm really interested in what you were going to say oh, about this. i was i was going to say a couple of things too uh that's great on a personal level there's also great power to hashtagging and really understanding how to hashtag um if you think about a medium that's normally visual, uh, you can dominate it. Um, for example, Instagram has paid incredible dividends for me. I have a Mindstream Players Instagram where I will upload as video the audio components of it, but you hashtag it to what it is. So, for example, for the Scrooge parody, hashtag um, holidays, hashtag Merry Christmas, hashtag Christmas cards, all these things, every year without me doing anything, when someone searches on Instagram, that show pops up in the conversation with all the hashtags. And it's unique because it's not a photo from Christmas. It's actually an audio comic drama, an original play about Scrooge that subverts that. And it finds a life almost every year now. I can count on the Dracula thing getting a huge spike on Halloween and that <laughs> getting a huge spike. It's two years now from being on Instagram on a global level because audio is not something that has trouble traveling to uh, any part of the country. Uh, it's really easy to listen to. It's easy to play on these different formats. And it's unique because Instagram is normally associated with a visual media. So if you figure out, look at someone who was successful. The way I found like the Audion Project and all these other Nerado players, some of the people that I work with is I looked at the old time radio hashtags. I was like, who else is doing the shadow? Who else has it? And it's OTR. And if you go OTR on YouTube, you find hundreds of thousands of YouTube channels that have uploaded old-time radio that has, you know, gone to the public domain. You can find, you know, The Shadow and Flash Gordon and all these different things. What did I do? Every single one of mine I uploaded as a YouTube video of us performing it in the boxes with those hashtags it comes up now every year higher and higher in the search engine as old time radio. It's not old time radio. It's mine. But That's the people awesome. that love that find it immediately because all they put in is OTR and OTR is unique to old time radio. So um, understand the hashtags. Uh, Audion, is that Larry Groby's? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we actually yeah. have a panel with uh, Larry uh, He's tomorrow. Terrific. He's He's old school. He's been doing it forever. I've played a bunch of parts recently. I, I, I've only known him a year, but I respect him immensely. And that's how we found each other on YouTube with podcasts. I, I, so I watched his most recent thing, the um, Red 
was it Red Devils or something like that? Red uh, Rider? Red Rider, yeah, yeah. That, with yeah, uh, Jeff the, was in I'm that. I'm the old guy in it. I'm the one that goes, oh, I think oh, we should go over there. I thought yeah. I recognized you from something, and I didn't yeah. realize, because Jeff is in that one. We had a panel yeah. yesterday with Jeff um, that Aaron yeah, was a part was of uh, about yeah. actual playing TTRPG, and Jeff is Jeff is awesome. And that show is so cool because yeah. it's live and live fully, and it's all recorded. Yeah. Um, we almost never stop. It's like It's like doing a live show. Um, and I love doing it. Those kinds of characters and stuff are perfect. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's probably where you recognize me from. Was from that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and which was so your? Sick. Which is your Instagram? I'm trying to follow you right now. What it's was called the, the Mindstream Players. So if you put Mind in Mindstream players. one there. word players, you will see it. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, I think to your point, um, uh, to your point, uh, Tony is you've created something that has what we call quadrants, you know, it's a lot of different quadrants that it, that it reaches. Mm-hmm. If you think about that legal parody quadrant, you could have a fake Twitter account that gives really bad legal advice as the characters, mm-hmm. which could then create a following. And every time in the description, you have a link tree link or something that sends, here's all the places you can hear the show. Then you have another quadrant where you find those adult swim people. You have another quadrant where literally you reach out to gamers and comic book, uh, uh, stores, you know, people that, that game there, the people that buy comics and stuff, those different people, they wouldn't talk to each other normally. They're going to be unified by your show. And and that's a really good place to be with a show like yours because you have a, a comedic take where lawyers can take the piss out of real legal things, but it's okay because it's a comic book. Right. And, and that that will find its own life if you message it properly. People will have to understand what it is. And in any good pitch, you always say what it, the genre is and the tone is up front. So there's a difference between a legal drama with superheroes and a comedic drama with superheroes. It conjures up a completely different image. It's the boys versus the Avengers, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, so I think that really think about when you were pitching it as a crowdfunded piece, what was it that you communicated so quickly and so well where people said, I'm going to take some money out and get it? That same discipline has to be applied to finding the audience. It has and to be quick. This is what I tell people about elevator pitches, how you should kind of be ready to go with your 30-second elevator pitch at all times. And I say 30 second because you're going to have them or not within that first five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 seconds for your most important data, five seconds for your hook. So within five seconds or, I don't know, 10 words or so, have all of the keywords of your project so that you can reach the maximum amount of people. It's really that short now. It's really not 30 seconds. It's like five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And I think I was pretty happy with the pitch we had with Super Suits. Um, And I think it the show sells itself and explains itself very well in the one sentence of it's a law firm set in a superhero world. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wanted to make a slightly longer pitch, it's a law firm set in the world of heroes, villains, and the legal battles they create to kind of paint a, a more descriptive picture. But it works really well in its um, in just that small tagline. And I think we have a lot of shows in the network that um, are, are very good at what is the show about. Like Ghost on a Train is literally an actual play podcast about basically ghost hunters 
that are private uh, uh, security for a train in a this like Tesla punk uh, kind of steampunkish world. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. Tesla punk. It's a very important distinction in that yeah. universe. Um, and I, and I think sometimes um, elevator pitches can be pretty hard for more complex shows, but it is important to distill them down to this central idea that you could sell. And I and I think that. Um, Green Horizons, an Irish space comedy. You know that mm-hmm. I think that is a that's a three word um, so pitch. Irish yeah. space. You know when you say that, I'm I'm automatically I interested. That. Irish yeah. space comedy. Yes, yeah. I will take yeah. two of those. Give that me that. That's the that elevator great. pitch. In, in, yeah. in, in Green Horizon, we in, you had the you had the pleasure of meeting Paul during the last panel. Paul is one of my one of my favorite people. Uh, he's so funny, and his show is so good. And, um, and and his show is doing very, very, very well. Uh, weirdly, with just word of mouth. I mean, you heard Paul. He's like, I don't have time for social media or even side content. I'm too busy writing my show. Uh, and his show has just somehow, uh, it is our best performing show in the network by by quite a bit. And it just works. He just, it just, it just, he's What's like the on the, sh- gr- the Green Horizon. That's the, the name of the ship. Uh, okay. And the cast and crew is just this, just this. So uh, like ridiculous group of people uh, um, on, on this ship, and they're all friends of his in real life from Waterford or or family and uh, cool. Waterford, Ireland, and you know that's a show that has a very simple elevator pitch. It has this very like strong like national identity. It's like very distinctly Irish. Almost every character is is Irish because that's just um, how is, this yeah. crew came together. And there's english voice actors there's um australian and american for different parts but it just has this very strong cultural identity that it's just so easy to sell it for what it is and it is that is the best description you give the show it is an irish-based comedy and that is enough that it got me like hooked just like that um where something more listeners like for whoever's listening to this that's what you want that like Mm -hmm. what you say irish-based comedy a three even five words but like three words if you can sum up your product your world in three words like that that's that's it and that's also your subtitle yeah on on every one of your social medias or whatever like perfect and i'd like to really paints a picture yeah i'd really like to work with our other shows to kind of help them develop this very quick elevator pitch because something like chain of being chain of being is this very complex mythic sci-fi it is mythic sci-fi but that doesn't always explain what it means you know it's Mm -hmm. there's this like pantheon of uh, of gods and angels and there's like spaceships so it's it's got your classic sci-fi elements it's got this almost uh judeo-christian and it takes a lot of influences from spirituality and other religions uh, it is really hard to boil down chain of being into an elevator pitch but mm-hmm. it is a fantastic show and kai is uh this just mad scientist of audio he's an incredible building these incredible soundscapes these incredible um, um sound effects it is a very cerebral and very immersive show it is unlike anything i've ever heard it, there's just level of detail in it but yeah i pitched ghost on a train to people as tesla punk ghostbusters on a train that is apt i mean you literally That's have the name of the good. show in it and you just good. add a little bit tesla punk ghostbusters yeah it tells me it's funny and it tells me where it yeah. is it's perfect and then yeah. if they ask for more it's like well they play a ttrpg um, and they pretend that they are Ghostbusters, you know, on a train. You know, that is that's when the show was first told to me that it's like, oh, it's like Ghostbusters, but like in this weird, like older futuristic world. Like, you know, Tesla Bugs kind of hard to describe if someone doesn't know what that means. But yeah. um, 
I think you can boil down even our most complex shows. Lavender Tavern is really easy. It's queer fairy tales. That's that is the whole premise of the show. It is LGBTQ plus fairy tales, and it's very easy to sell that. But Jack of All Trades, it's like it's. It sits on this fence of comedy and horror, so it it also has queer themes. So it's like um, um, supernatural, uh, queer supernatural horror and comedy. It's a little bit more of a mouthful, but it still sells it. But it doesn't tell you much about the plot itself. So th- you know we have these these hurdles that I, I I'm going to really need to think about, and and a lot of what you said is going to I think really help me uh, with this. So if I can ask a question of Tom, yeah. uh, Tom, what kind of obstacles have you found with getting your products out there like what have you run into that you've had to overcome because you have really solid advice for everyone is there any sort of hey don't do this any kind of warnings that you've um yeah there's there's a couple of things that that i found didn't pay dividends um be very careful about doing a kind of um Facebook ad type thing or something where you go global and you try and you, if you get into numbers and millions, if you get into hundreds of thousands, you're wasting your money because what it does is it casts so wide a net. You think psychologically it's counterintuitive. Well, if I reach more people, I'm going to get more people to listen to my show. It actually is the opposite effect. You're, you're spending money on someone that's going to click through. And because let's say, um, let's say tony your your show the jack of all trades it has um it has something in, you know it has a, a scene where you know involving furniture and you're like furniture horror hashtag do and you and you put all of that into an ad that you're paying for clicks well the person who's average doing furniture work or whatever and it's like what the heck is this and they click on it and you're paying for a click through for someone who's not predisposed to want casting the widest net possible is a big mistake and it's counterintuitive because you want everybody you ever met or didn't meet to watch your show. It's much better to do targeted marketing. If you're spending money on people you've never met, find out what their predispositions are. Because I wasted a lot of money in the YouTube space and I have wasted some money in the podcast space by doing what I call spaghetti on the wall type advertising. And the problem with that is you feel like, well, somebody who never knew they were gonna love my show possibly but it with that kind of targeted marketing it doesn't usually work so that was a big hurdle another sort of barrier to entry is um trying to go head to head in in a market or against product that you're not ready for that you're not you're not able to compete with is a big mistake um i tried to make a um a series that um the level of ambition on it was unnecessarily high and took a long time to finish it, which made the release pattern very distant. And 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 you would you would lose people in the intervening time. And you're like, well, I want this to be like beyond network quality. I want this to be. It's better that it's very very good, but out every week than absolute perfection in once a year. And and that's a huge obstacle. If people are like, but it's got to be perfect. You know, I'm competing with HBO. You can't. You can't. They have so many teams of people doing it that it becomes an obstacle because it invites unfavorable comparison. And it also works against your getting a consistent release, getting uh, consistent quality control. The audience's expectations, if you elevate them to that, you know, if your advertising is like, you thought all these other shows that HBO did sucked. Where do you see mine? It's so much better. 
you're dead in the water <laughs> because you're going to invite so much unfavorable. Be the scrappy little, you can see the seams person a lot more. Now, you had mentioned you had a guy who was, his sonic scapes were incredible. Let that speak for himself. He's not saying, I'm Christopher Nolan. He's saying, I'm me. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a huge difference with that. That's a big obstacle because your ego and your quest for perfection up against someone who has millions of dollars is going to stop you dead. Mm -hmm. You're your own worst enemy with that. Those are the two things that come to mind, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, never yeah. discount charm. Never yeah. discount that people go, uh, people who can relate to something. Yeah. Uh, great singers aren't great singers because they hit every note perfectly. It's about how well they recover and how quickly they recover from when they make a mistake. And showing a little bit of that that gritty, dirty, like, oh, this is, I gotta get this content out, uh, is not gonna hurt you. It's yeah. not. Yeah, it actually helps because it makes the audience enrolled. They feel like they're your ally. Um, I've done deep dives with people that were super fans like on YouTube and they're like, hey, let me host you and I'll ask you questions and they'll literally play the show and stop it and talk to you about things and want to know what went wrong. I want to go, well, was this the way you wanted it? And I go, oh, I wish I had more money. I wish I had more time to do all that. People love that mm -hmm. because it makes them part of the process. Uh, I'd, I'd like to also touch on something that you kind of mentioned with like casting too wide of net. And that's something that Jonathan uh, from uh, Gather Suspects talked about. He works in organic marketing, uh, has an entire firm that is um, designed to kind of tackle these things. So he helps small businesses kind of compete on Google and these other things with the, some monsters out there in their industry. And he talked about the importance of finding who your audience is. And then uh, more specifically, more technically, what keywords you use to target them on something like if you were to do Google, like you're at the point, you know who your audience is, you know where they hang mm -hmm. out, you are ready to spend a little bit of money to try to target them because you think you can reel them in. Mm -hmm. He talked in very great detail about how attainable that is with free tools mm -hmm. um, and, and some paid tools because you, sometimes you can just get information more efficiently if you yeah. just throw a little money at it. Um, and, and, and so... It, there is a panel that we talked about specifically that with targeting that audience and how to find them on the internet and how to advertise to them. Um, and that my computer crashed during that panel. So I have to double check and make sure that the file that I was recording is fixable because right, right now it won't load and I only have the last half of it. I'm, so, I'm distraught oh. over it, yeah. but I, I, that is going to be a very helpful video for those that are looking for those specific tools. And worst case scenario, maybe I can work with John to recreate it in much more of an official lecture style. And we can put that up instead. Right. Um, but and you're absolutely correct because he said, you know, a lot of people have that pre um, that 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 preconceived notion that if I cast that net, I'll catch something, and the, you're not going to get anything to stick. It is going to be much better to take the time to understand your target audience. Yeah. And then you'll have a significantly ad, ad rates seem devastating. Even if you think you have the perfect market capsule, uh, like the ad, amount of people that are going to interact with it aren't is not going to be as much as you'd like. But it's still going to be more than if you just here Google yep. here's a hundred dollars show it to anyone who likes podcasts. Yeah, exactly, that's a huge obstacle of, of yeah. thinking that it's counterintuitive, but absolutely true. Mm -hmm. absolutely. In the business, there's a phrase "know your niche." Yeah. Like that's what, that's it. You just, yeah. you'd have to, because niche advertising will make you everything. It'll yeah. make you. And yeah. then uh, trying to, so few intellectual properties across all platforms 
transcend yes. their niche. And they Very have billions of dollars. Yeah, usually. Yes. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. So yeah. To, to go into back to maybe some um, things we can do to bring people into the podcast world. Um, I'm, I'm planning on attending a couple conventions soon. And I'd like, I wish I could have gotten a booth at FlameCon, uh, which is coming up in August, but we weren't able to. But I'd like to find a way that maybe with the con goers, I could say what podcast fits you. And maybe that's a way that we could have this sort of, um, this experience where people can listen to samples of our podcast and or take a survey and figure it out and make it this like really kind of fun interactive oh. thing, um, and mm. it'll be really like person to person, so maybe it'll feel a bit more authentic, um, mm. and we can get people there. We we actually tried something very interesting at Dragon Con last year, where we um, Faustian Nonsense, you know, it's Faustian bargains. It's this very kind of we have this like very occult. Um, brand to us is very weird chaotic right. brand and so one of the things we did is we had a sign that walked around and i was dressed up as like all crazy and it said text soul to blah and what what it gave <laughs> you was a soundscape that kai designed from chain of being to listen to while you walk around the con and we you know we were kind of hoping that this would be like and it also would sign up sign them up cool. for our newsletter and, you know, these were kind of ways that we, we try to make it a more immersive experience to interact with us. And we think it worked to an extent. Um, maybe it was a little too obscure and odd for most people. We got a lot of pictures of, uh, from people. Um, Point. That's let's let's expand on that. Making sure that you're targeting and your marketing and stuff explains who you are and is on brand, which mm -hmm. I think I think maybe we don't need to expand on it, but that's that's definitely key is to make sure that uh, yeah. people know what the product is or yeah. they can find it quickly enough that they don't get frustrated, which yeah. is, again, five seconds. You have five seconds to have people go, what is this? I still don't know what this is. Oh, this yeah. is interesting. Yeah, I call it what the three clicks deep thing. If you're yes. three clip clicks deep into a, a website or an ad or anything, you have lost them. Uh, it needs to be one click, you know, maybe two. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. One, one click is a very uh, discussed term in marketing for, especially uh, internet digital marketing. Yep. You have one chance. And that's where I think maybe even conceptually MadCon 2020 on, on Discord, 2022, sorry, on Discord may not be as accessible as if I just had made it YouTube events. Go to YouTube.com and click on this panel. You can find the panel if you just click this. I think that would um, have given the panel itself more uh, uh, more accessibility because mm. we're asking awesome. people to do Discord. And maybe they don't have an access to Discord. They have to make an account. And then yeah. – so this is something I've been thinking of, and it's very true. That's the good point. The power of one click is very mm – because -hmm. you don't need to sign in to watch something on YouTube. Right. Uh, where Discord is a process, and I think maybe us podcast peeps take for granted that, like, in the audio drama sphere, like, Discord is just second nature, and so is, like, right. Twitter. Maybe right. I overlooked that when suggesting to put this on Discord. I, I saw YouTube pay huge dividends. I've uploaded mm -hmm. ones where you can see that being performed. I've uploaded ones where it's just the audio. But you go where the people are. And I feel like um, it would be an interesting experiment to do MadCon on that platform mm -hmm. in, in a year and see how did it pay dividends? What kinds of people did we get in? Was there just more foot traffic in the chat? Because 
there is also the the uh, inherent bias of like with Discord, you guys know that it's the podcast thing, but I'm a podcaster and I had to sign up for Discord to do this. I've never used Discord. Mm-hmm. Now I'm an old dude and I don't know what's going on, but I will say this. Once I found out about it and you told me, oh, this is where people hang out. Yeah, I'll keep it. But I think if I discovered you via YouTube, I would have been more inclined to do a deep dive. Um, The other thing that I've seen happen is I was recently um, nominated for best actor in a a, a pretty big podcasting award show that's out here in L.A. Um, Congratulations. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah, it was weird. (laughs) The reason that it was a TV show called Clutch in Canada and we couldn't finish season three, so we did it on a, as a podcast. Oh. And I played the villain on it. And so I performed him sitting here at this desk, you know, as this guy, you know, as the villain. And um, and we ended up getting nominated. But I met a guy there that was my competition, and they created an app that is a curated. No podcast is allowed if it has an interview in it. It's curated only for drama. It's called Apollo. You can get on it for free. You can yes. listen for free. Do you know that app? I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my uh, show is on there now. is going to be on it. Yeah. Yeah, and and they have a thing called Earth Eclipsed, which is one of the best <gasps> produced things I've ever. It is so yeah. good. Earth Eclipsed yeah. is so good, you guys. Listen, yeah. to Earth. I'm not involved with this project. I have just seen it yeah. everywhere, and I've. It's, I'm such a fan. A- AJ Churchill was the guy who did it, and he came up to me and was very gracious about me and my performing. He's like what are you doing podcasts? I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, I, I love acting in anything. And he told me about this app and it's so convenient to have an app that advertises your show. And they, as the show creators were innovative in that they created the app to advertise their show, but they created a big tent where everybody who had a show goes, can I put my show on your app? And they (laughs) do. And all the people that listen to those shows, listen to their show. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it is a free advertisement, 24 hours a day, everywhere in the world. So kind of smart. As as far as using YouTube goes, um, if you're not doing a regular release when you're simultaneously releasing your episodes on these other podcast networks, never fear, because YouTube is eternal. Like, you never know when your stuff is going to pick up on YouTube because of, one, the actual YouTube algorithm – to society because if for example people are super into the boys right now or if people are super into ms marvel they're going to be looking for more superhero stuff maybe a superhero podcast will pop up on either youtube because youtube's run by google and google controls everything and therefore they (laughs) and and um so you can always repackage and put things both in playlists and then just do one big file always make sure that you have one file that is literally just your entire show on one go mm-hmm. because people will still click it yeah. and listen to it in that format as well, which sounds yeah. insane, but it's true. I've oh, seen. Yeah. You can monetize on YouTube just like you can anything else. I, mm-hmm. I have, yes. I have beginning ads. I have pop-up ads with the pop-ups don't interfere with the audio at all. Right. Um, I've seen money from them. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think one of the things that you said, Aaron, that's 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 kind of interesting is everything old is new again because there is no shelf life. There's no digital space where you ran out of space for the tape. There's no record that you can't fit in. Something that you 
have someone discover today that you made seven years ago is new to them. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely nothing that dates it except if it's not, you know, evergreen content, if it's referencing something that's new to them. That's the thing that really blew my mind is I would I threw down some shows 13 years ago on YouTube. And then something happened that made them prescient again, where it was like, oh, you know, that happened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the next day, 120,000 people had watched it and commented on it. And I got a huge laugh out of it because the first comment on there was 13 years ago. I said, thank you for listening. Then all these new comments and I, I wrote, I'm back. Did you guys miss me? It's like 13 years later, someone commented <laughs> on it. But it's because to them it's new. They mm-hmm. found it. There's no expiration date for anything, for a podcast, for a movie. If it lives out there, it's new to the person who discovers it that day because there's not an expiration that it well played in the theater. It was already on the radio and it's over. Um, you can't find the CD anymore. All that's mm-hmm. gone. Now it's just ones and zeros. So, Tony, your show, 10 years from now, if something happens... It will have a life that's as if it came out that day. Mm-hmm. And that's I always important. tell. Sorry. I always tell the Burger King story where Burger King used the song like right round you spin me right round yeah. baby right round. And so that band did not know that that song was licensed to Burger King. So one day they literally this is what happened. They all went out to their mailboxes and they got a check that was like millions of dollars. And they were like, what is happening? What, because not only, and they called each other, they didn't know, they called the, their uh, production company or the distributor. She was like, yeah, we we sold it to Burger King, we licensed it out, so here's your cut. They're like, what? Um, Because not only, did it uh did it get licensed to burger king it made the song back on the like top billboard top 100 chart again so yes. you never know actually mm-hmm. stranger things is a great I example metallica and kate bush yeah. are like trending and on the yeah. billboard like, charts I, i'm not caught up but kate, i did like I, yeah i recorded that thing in 1983 <laughs> and all of a sudden people are like so kate when are you gonna do a new album you know so I don't. I, I'm not kind of the newest season, but I think one of the funniest things I've seen for that is like Stranger Things took place X times. This album released during X times. That means this guitarist learned that entire was was it Master yeah. of Puppets specifically <laughs> um, for like six weeks? I think it yeah, was. Yeah, like- yeah. It's like somehow learned this without the power of internet and guitar tabs. I'm a guitar guy, so like yeah. without the power of tabs and learn how to shred the most insane yeah. you know song of that time yeah. and like mad respect. How did you learn that? Yeah. So yeah. I hope I hope that brings some comfort to the audience because just because your thing wasn't an immediate hit, it's not not all hope is lost. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't abandon it and run away to something else. You can feel free because, like Tom said, it's out there. It's never yeah. not going to be out there. So it can probably maybe one day organically on its own find its audience. That can mm-hmm. happen. Yep. Um, Absolutely. If you want to move on to another project, if you yep. don't, you can nurse that baby. You can go to these groups. You can go online. You can go talk to the, you know, and then you can do post marketing, and then always a repackage. And yeah, yeah. If you do an there. audio drama that's a clever satire, um, I'll give you an example of exactly what Aaron was talking about. Um, I used to do a show called Invention, which was it's basically a British chat show about science where the host is driven mad by the same guest every single week who's coming in with a new invention. And uh, I was the guy with the invention and Dave Beeler was that. So, so um, 
about 11 years ago, I wrote one about virtual money. And I was like, you could be virtually wealthy. And he's like, you mean actually wealthy? No, no, no. I mean virtually wealthy. <laughs> and so we have this whole thing. There was no such thing as cryptocurrency. There was no such thing as Bitcoin then. So I went back into YouTube three years ago and I changed it to hashtag Bitcoin, hashtag exposed cryptocurrency. I made more money on that thing from 11 years ago than I did in 11 years. Amazing. And, and, and that's because it's an evergreen subject. The idea of bilking people or crazy money can come back. And, mm -hmm. and you have to, as a marketer looking for people, keep your ear down and go, what are the trends? What are, mm -hmm. where, where are things going? How is my work still relevant to what's going on in the conversation, in the news, um, with people's experience as human beings those that's evergreen like we're all humans we all go through this stuff so something that you create can live on beyond you if it's any good it will resonate to somebody that wasn't born when you made it there you know uh, and i can absolutely. think of an example for that with the, in the video game sphere when the pandemic happened so, so let me preface this in like 2000 i think probably for uh, 15 or 16 there was a game called plague inc that was really popular running around on um like a lot of let's players and stuff like that and basically you build a bio weapon that infects people and makes people feel real sick and the whole point of the game is to make something that's so resilient and so strong that you you kill the world that's the that's the goal you kill everyone in the world um the pandemic happened and that game had this massive resurgence again in 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 the media or like Plague Inc. is real and things like that. And like, obviously, that's like the worst reason for your game to come back. It's like, well, it took a global pandemic to be relevant again. But it's an example. <laughs> hey, it takes what it takes. Yeah, yeah. it is yeah. an example of real world events affecting yeah. um, um, your media. And in a lot of ways, I think, you know, the the boys really reflects a lot of what's happening in in America and resonates with people in very specific ways. Not you know I don't want to get political or anything like that, right, but right, right. it is an example of of real world events um, uh, going into that. Um, uh, another oh there was a Korean movie um, about a basically like a plague or infection that was really 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 popular and it, because it kind of really spoke. Um, uh, the guy tried to get the movie made for so long and it wasn't in really like until around this time that they even, Oh so, man, what was that movie? Korean parasite, right? Parasite. It was parasite. Yeah. So that yeah. movie, I, the guy was trying to get that movie made for so, so long. Yeah. And so that wasn't the, already existing, wasn't but, yeah. but, but it was, it, it took something like the pandemic happening for that to become, um, yeah. um, possible and it ended up being like oh my god this is an incredible movie it's it's a very well-renowned movie mm -hmm. um so you're right anything can become yeah. relevant out of nowhere again yeah. yeah your audience again is evolving that's another thing to take away from this discussion is that th as the world evolves if your work stands then evolves with it you can reframe your work and it becomes relevant again or as aaron was saying it gets rediscovered mm -hmm. uh so we we have about uh, 17, 18 minutes until we're at time. Um, so okay. um, during this time, we often like to interact with the, the, the viewers. If there's anyone watching that would like to specifically ask any questions, maybe you have had trouble with your own show with growing an audience um, sure. or have some ideas. Um, we'd like to talk about that now. There's only a couple of us hanging out, so may, we, we may not get any, but um, 
Yeah, do we have any? Don't be shy. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Uh, I also there... wasn't concerned, just so you're aware, uh, Tony, about this. Uh, when the publicity went out for this convention and every like my involvement was very last minute and I could only do so much as far as my own personal marketing for this. I was like, you know what? It's going to be on YouTube. So I had that whole like ever as long as I keep as a panelist, keep my advice as evergreen as possible, yes. which yep. was, you know, clearly what Tom came here to do as well. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Someone mm-hmm. if you have the right hashtags on each of these panels, this this can blow up. It doesn't matter when things are done. We didn't have to have an audience at all. We could have just true. been crazy people talking in a room. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I will be working with um, with with Jack to uh, we're going to take these videos and we're going to spruce them up to make them a bit more palatable for like a YouTube audience and um, I mean, we definitely want to make this evergreen because a lot of this advice is going to be very, very valid for a long time. You know, there, you're going to have these hurdles of trying to get people into to watch you. And maybe the way you can do that in the future will change. But a lot of the general premise of like, how do you get people to interact with your stuff? I think it's going to stay fairly consistent um, as Great. audio dramas grow. I mean, this is an industry that, mm-hmm. you know, is is getting bigger and bigger. There are more and more creators, more and more podcasts coming out and launching every day. Um, more it's a beautiful renaissance. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It is. It, 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 it. I didn't think you know when FM radio kind of died and and AM radio died, and that that style kind of went away. I, how beautiful is it that we found a way on the internet to not just you know throw up an MP3 audio file and hope someone hears it, but there's literally aggregators and networks and you can hear it on spotify and on amazon and and there's apple podcasts and all these apps dedicated to bringing exactly that the the experience of the theater of the mind um using the highest technology possible with no buffer there's no vetting where this doesn't fit you know what we want or this isn't if you put something there it at least has on its merit to rise or fall if you can get someone discovery is everything if they can discover it great because you and i can put our show up have it go like this out into everything and literally people you've never met are listening to it right now Mm -hmm. and you did not once have to go to a major corporation and go please give me permission to make the show to me, the closest allegory is small 99-seat theater where you could write a play and put the play up exactly the way you wanted it, whether it stunk or it was genius. At least once it went up the way you wanted it to. I feel That's... like it's also like the 90s explosion of zines when yes. everybody could mm. just publish their yep. zine. And yep. that was their voice. Exactly. But that's the analogy that really comes to mind. Is It's a theater where you can put something up right or wrong, and there's no barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. We have a panel tomorrow called Accessing and Gatekeeping to kind of go uh, to – that will echo a lot of what we've talked about today with, you know, there is a, this huge space to tell amazing stories uh, and – and there, there is, it does not take a lot to get into this industry. If you have a microphone and you have a way to edit audio, you have the bare minimum to make an audio drama. There is free sounds. There is, there are ways that you can do it. The bar of entry is is beautiful. You know, if you want to be a three D artist, I mean, you need you need great, um, you need a, a strong computer. You need like these various art skills and things like that. Um, to, and if you want to make a YouTube series, like maybe you could do it, but you need a camera and a microphone. There, there is this awesome, very low barrier of entry in yep. into the podcasting world um, yep. that makes it so that like 
I'm trapped in my house during quarantine. What can I do? I can make a podcast. I can make something really fun and yeah. immersive and tell a story. And there's, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, I can make a podcast that somebody will listen to in Australia. How crazy is that? Yeah. You know, and, and that I, I love that kind of um, access without the sort of middleman kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And keep that in mind when you're looking for um, audience and people is that you have unprecedented access and you're able to create something that is a pure vision and you can also get feedback directly from your audience without the same filter. So you can pivot. You can pivot what you're doing to what works in mid-flow. A television show can't halfway through the episodes because when you're delivering television, you shoot them all at once and then you roll them out. With a podcast, if you have a character that gets popular in the second one, if you're producing them in the moment, you can accent characters that are resonating with the audience. You can pivot. You can augment your creation so that you have a dialogue with the audience. And that dialogue with the audience enrolls them in your film, your your production even more. Absolutely. So Splintered Caravan did that. Um, yeah. Splintered Caravan, the two most popular characters were Clippy, who is – so this is a cyberpunk uh, audio drama – and Clippy has the ability to replace parts of themselves with other parts. Okay. And they this was kind of around the time that transgender people became more comfortable mm-hmm. being public and being a public presence. And there wasn't, and there still kind of aren't, a lot of transgender heroes in media. Uh-huh. And... Uh, that character was supposed to die at the end of the season and and they did not they did they did yeah. not end up dying because they all of a sudden this huge audience, audience we didn't expect yeah. Yeah. came in and and worshiped this character and we're like terrific. oh my god we can't kill the wonder woman of the transgender community See, that is beautiful that's exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about and, and yeah, audio you, drama right. is the medium that lets like characters that uh that don't get a lot of attention in like big mainstream like kind of media or like big budget productions because oh maybe that doesn't land well with our target audience things like that you know you don't Uh have those barriers of storytelling like yeah this character everyone likes let's just keep going right and i feel like um i feel like um one thing that you just brought up tony is you're right you can explore things because it's unfettered by you know the same kind of financial considerations or the same kind of you know white paper that comes down this is what the kids want you can find through by experimenting by actually creating it you can begin to find that voice find that character find out what's working what's popular and in an audio production anything's possible you can set it anywhere you can set it with as many or as little characters as you're able to bring to bear and you can do so with a production that is pretty agile. I mean, if you if you really get everything down, you can record in a day or two uh, everything that you want to have, and then you go into the post process where you're adding sound effects and things like that. But you're re- receiving feedback on the previous uh, episode from the audience in that moment, and you're not being given it through somebody, through a company, through something. They're just writing to you because you've made yourself accessible. And, and that's hugely powerful because that makes you like the original storyteller sitting around the fire on the beach going, one night, this ha- <laughs> what happened next, you know? And, and, and this is on a global scale. It's literally a global scale. And that's, that's so powerful. Listening to Jack uh, 
who has been doing this for a very long time, right? Jack, yeah. Jack Ward is a true pioneer. Yeah, of this I think 1981, industry. he was doing it live on stage. Yeah, and, and he yeah. was telling he was telling us about like a local radio show he had published, and he was getting mail from people that lived off the island, uh, off the like the coast. I think of like maybe the Seattle area, or like you know somewhere uh-huh. up there and uh, off the coast of um of the northwestern uh, United States. And he once got mail. Was like, hey, I heard this thing on the radio. I just wanted to tell you I liked it. And that for him was like this huge moment of oh my god, I am reaching people I never thought I would, and people really, yep. really, really, really like this. And I really Jack's had like so much stuff come up this weekend, so he hasn't been able to participate. Uh, I'm mm. sure as much as he'd like. Yeah. Um, hopefully he'll be able to uh, enlighten us tomorrow because Jack can, Jack can tell you all about the the different eras of uh, yeah. uh, radio plays and the golden age and silver age and bronze age of audio drama yeah. and it's he is just this infinite wealth of knowledge of this and is the lifeblood truly of of this kind of uh, uh, medium and it's it's amazing he's amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah he really is amazing I know if I was around back then I would be an actor and producer in creating radio shows like that. I know, I just know in the thirties, mm-hmm. they drive me around in a car and I would do the shadow at nine o'clock. I do this, <laughs> you know, I just, I know I would do that. And it's so cool that you can have the option to do that now and, mm-hmm. and without needing NBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I think I'd like to take the, the last little bit of time we have and sure. uh, let you all talk about the things that you're excited for that you're working on right now in, in the sphere. Or if there's there's something professional you have going on that you, you would really like to plug, you have the floor. Let's uh, let's start with Aaron. What, what are you doing right now that you're excited about? Oh, so uh, you already talked about Super Suits, which I'm so excited because it might be the first podcast I listen to. And uh, I'm going, Tom, I'm going to pop in and listen to some of your audio dramas. Oh, I, talked yeah, about the, I talked about the three episode rule a couple times where I whenever I get people into audio dramas, I'm like, hey, give it three episodes because things take a little bit to get off the ground. But then it boom, you're hooked yeah. and it's great. Um I'm hoping Supersuits is the first one that from the get-go is, wow, this is really, like, this is it. Like, I'm, uh. Um, and then I'm on a podcast called The Storm Chasers, yes. which is releasing now. And there it is. And that's the YouTube, but it's also available on all different platforms. I like linking the YouTube because there is a visual component exclusively on YouTube where the entire thing has uh, backgrounds and characters that uh, keyframes essentially that'll pop up on screen and just gorgeous art to accompany the audio portion. But there's also full audio. And that is a uh, high seas pirate fantasy adventure. So if you like D&D, you'll like Storm Chasers. That's fantastic. Awesome. It, it, well, the art for it is beautiful. I, I really, I really want to dig into Storm Chasers because it, it feels like it'll have the fun and adventure of like an actual play D and D style thing, but while being fully like scripted and this yeah. kind of very uh, um, um, full the uh, uh, full experience. So very excited for that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, feel I, wanna, like... I was going to say I really want to listen to that. I, I definitely am going to look at the Storm Chasers and and what you're doing with that. I, I think you're terrific, Aaron, and and I can't wait to see Tony's show. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, for me, I, I please you know encourage you to look at um, mine is a is a unique one in that some are self-contained. You know, so, you know Dracula or uh, the uh, the Festivus incident is the uh, Scrooge one. Um, those are self-contained, whereas, you know, the the 
the reasonably uh, remarkable adventures of Flash Gordon is anthology style, and it's me deconstructing all of the pulp um, uh, shows from that era. I'm really proud of those. I also am really honored to be part of uh, Narada Radio Players. They just did uh, a couple of just you know fantastic. Uh, one is a, a version of the uh, the Kane Mutiny play. Um, which was just amazing. We've done 1984, a lot of great literary works done as radio plays and audio dramas. Also, Audion Project, which you know you and I were discussing earlier um, with Larry and Jack and all of them. Um, the other thing that you know that I'm looking forward to pushing forward with is there's uh, a thing, the summer stock of uh, of audio podcasts that's happening. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's a it's kind of like a theater uh, festival, only it's with podcasts and audio plays oh so um at the last minute they're like hey we really like your stuff do you want to do something for it so it forced me one night to write uh essentially a um a satirical version of like a suspense episode so i'm in the middle of recording that um as a fake orson wells uh piece <laughs> and so that that should be a lot of fun and i'm bringing in people that i've worked with you know through the industry um, to play different parts in it and hopefully um, have some original music under it, you know, kind of Bernard Herman music underneath it. So if you turn it on, you'll be like, this old show. And then when you realize what I'm saying, you'll be like, oh, my God. That's so, so brilliant. Yeah, that's so, so brilliant. So when is, yeah, so when is this event? Yeah, yeah. Hmm? Uh, when, when is that event? I'm very, I'm very curious. Um, I believe it's starting now. I can get you that oh. information. Um, it's, it's like the summer stock of, uh, festivals. Um, give me a second and I'll, I'll look it up while we're chatting. Sure thing. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. William, William in the, in the chat said he's going to give storm chasers and Tom's Dracula play a listen this week. Um, oh, I was also in a Dracula radio play in 2019 and William <laughs> listens to everything Dracula. So when you oh, said that, I, I bet that he, cause he, he was like, I know you from the Dracula play. I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And then when we had an interview That's and weird. he, he's so excited right now. I can tell knowing how excited he is about Dracula. He's excited about your show. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, um, I was inspired by, um, uh, a version of Dracula where it was done as um, diary entries that Orson Welles had done. I thought, I really love that structure. Let's try that. And, um, and then the Sonicscape for it, uh, I really wanted to kind of make it cinematic. And I've always wanted to play Dracula. So <laughs> I, I tried to make him much more um, a brooding um, Eastern European figure rather than your typical Bela Lugosi figure. And um, it, what's, what I really like is all the additive time changes and time shifts in the entries mm -hmm. add up to this overall effect. And it was a lot of fun doing. And it taught me about how movies work. You know, by doing the audio version of it, you really had to think about orienting people to track where the characters were. What, what are the B stories? How do you give them uh, audio or sonic touchstones so they know where they are in the story? You know, the same ticking clock can tell me, OK, I'm back in real time on that. Mm -hmm. Or if I hear wind or a certain sound, I know that I'm inside the character's head. You have to start thinking about how symbolically the, the sonic part of your play orients the audience the way an edit would or a shot would in a movie. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm learning every day with that. So, so yeah, I encourage anybody that wants to try it, just get out there and start recording stuff. Yeah, we, we will touch more on that tomorrow with how easy it is to get into 
starting something like this. I mean, a lot of people have the very same story of I'm in a pandemic. What do I do? Make a podcast. I can't, I I can't even count. I can, it would take several hands of people. Only I've met that have that story. Um, it, it's, it's truly an awesome, uh, like low barrier of entry, uh, format. I have a question for William in the chat. Um, did you enjoy the Castlevania series? Uh, um, I, I'm not caught up, but I really did enjoy the first couple seasons. Uh, it was very, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, I, I love this like Renaissance. You're talking about Renaissance. Is this like Renaissance of adult animation coming back? Like high quality yeah. shows intended for adults. Um, and Castlevania yeah. is one of those shows. It's just, it's, it's dark and gritty and definitely not intended for children. I most certainly and it's because did. we grew up. It's because our we are the generation that had we had cartoons and then anime started coming over in the mid 90s and early 2000s and that was sort of the anime explosion. And that was many people's first introduction to ser- animation as a serious medium. Mm-hmm. Um even though there were American animations that were more serious, they were so few and far between because animation was for children and uh, like live action was for adults for the most part. Um, When anime came over, there was sort of a renaissance. You can even see it in the art styles that it shifted to provide content for different age groups. Mm -hmm. And so then the people who grew up watching this transition are now content creator age, you know? Like, I mean, I'm saying this and I'm 36, just so we can set the... <laughs> we can set the, <laughs> the standards here. There are people who now have grown up with adult animation. Like, animation geared towards adult was just a fact of life. So now right. the 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds are like, yeah, what? And it's like, well, that didn't use to... When I was little, I, well, I watched, like, Nick at Night, right? So I watched Bewitched and I Love Lucy. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. I had this era where that was, like, my entertainment Absolutely. And then there's a huge shift. <laughs> yeah, it changed completely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's and it's it's good art is resynthesizing all your influences, everything that you enjoy, the the good stuff that you kind of put in your brain and you're knocking around. That resynthesis or remixing of it into your new thing, you're going to pull all of those influences. And as you say, if if somebody grew up used to something, then they're going to find their own voice in what they loved and what they were influenced in. And you can do that in audio so easily and so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise on this, Tom. Um, talking, We've had the pleasure of talking uh, with a lot of people that have been doing this i mean some in some cases like with with jack and larry have been doing this since before i was born i mean you know jack's been doing radio plays and and and, uh jeff has been doing like stage uh um Mm -hmm. acting and and stuff like that for longer than i've been alive i was born 1994 they were they were doing it in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that larry is a huge another big pioneer of this style and i'm very excited to talk to larry tomorrow too i'm learning so much um because we, we think of audio drama as this like new wave of stuff, and but it's derivative of something that's been around for a very long time. Right. And 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 there's a lot of creators in here that have had that experience and have taken those experiences uh, to this new era of yep. audio fiction. So thank you. The so way to much. make it good is to know where you came from. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're so thank re- you for having me on, and it was a pleasure meeting you, Aaron, and you, Tony. <laughs> Uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you both. And yes, it was so wonderful meeting you, Tom. <laughs> thank you. 
Uh, Aaron, thank you for all your help that you've provided throughout this entire convention. You've you've, you've given such an excellent voice and um, and often a very different uh, perspective because you were a performer um, and and but have sat kind of in between on the creative and the performance side. It's very interesting to hear um, your um, your interpretations of a lot of this and your experiences with a lot of this. So thank you so much. Um, so thank you all for watching. I hope everyone uh, who is either watching later on YouTube or is live with us today has have been having a wonderful time. And we have one more day of MadCon left. Tomorrow we are talking about um, breaking through barriers. A bit more conceptual tomorrow, but, you know, it's finding... Uh, uh, let's see, let's see. Tomorrow we have from the top, Teamwork at a Distance non-English language podcast, accessing and gatekeeping, and then a final panel to just kind of wrap everything up with a tight bow and maybe recap some of what's going on. So I uh, hope to see you all then, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Take care, all. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama, or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.